Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. And welcome into Coffee Break. I'm Kirk Kittleson sitting in for Troy once again. Hopefully, Troy will be back with us here on Monday morning. And joining us in the studio today it is Cara Tangadol from the uh, 4-H Extension Office. Good morning, Cara. Good morning. Yeah, I guess I know your uh, title takes up two and a half cards. <laughs> what is your official title over Extension Office? Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Um, it's the 4-H Youth Development Extension Agent for Lewis and Clark County. You need a big card to carry all that. Yeah. A yeah, really looks, small type, so they have to look through it as the magnifying glass. Yeah, and it looks really important, and then people are like, I don't know what any of that is. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, basically, you work with the 4-H kids, which has got to be kind of fun. Yeah, so a large part of my job is doing um, the 4-H programming for Lewis and Clark County and kind of overseeing uh, that program. And then the other part is just doing general youth development programming Um for the county as well. So it's a little bit of both, which is fun. It means I can kind of pursue whatever my interests are and whatever I think our community needs or whatever they tell me they need. Yeah. So. And the extension office itself, I think, is kind of a mystery to some people. I know it comes through the MSU it's a, because it's a land-grant university. How does that all work? How do you guys end up there? Yeah, so it's in. So there was an agreement between the U.S. Department of Agriculture and land-grant universities, and that's where the funding started originally. And so then they established the extension service, the Cooperative Extension Service. And so this, all the states in the United States, our territories, and even other countries usually have an extension office or extension work going on. For instance, we have um, one of our extension agents who is in Kalispell is actually in Romania now doing work there. And uh, we have folks who have done extension in South America with like farming and other types of um, organic farming and programming there. And so um, here in Lewis and Clark County, I like to say I have a bunch of bosses. So I have my boss through MSU Extension, and then I also have the commissioners, and then I also have our constituents in Lewis and Clark County who tell me what they need, and, and hopefully I can serve them. All right. And 4-H, as we think of it, we think, well, that's gatherings of little groups of, of young people. But that's something you had to pivot from probably rather quickly last year, and now it's been a whole year. So how, how's that all working out? Yeah. So 4-H does look a little bit different. Um, and I remember last spring we were really trying to figure out what's the best way to serve people, uh, especially with kids being at home more and working parents having to um, do education and kind of deal with all the hardships that come with that. So uh, we ended up adopting Microsoft Teams for 4-H just because that's what the state uses and that's also what several of the school systems use. And so that allowed us to meet virtually. Um, a lot of our contests end up being have ended up being fully online. For instance, we do a communications day uh, where they do demonstrations and illustrated talks and might do um, a mock interview. And that's been completely online. Uh, we had what's called a legislative breakfast in January where 4-Hers from around the state meet up with legislators and talk about what 4-H means to them because a lot of our funding comes from a bill that goes through legislature um, through the Montana University system. And 
that was completely virtual this year. And usually it's in person at the Delta Hotel here in Helena. And so it was completely virtual and it actually went really well. And a lot of the youth have really stepped up and they've just been able to use these virtual meeting spaces so professionally. And it's just been super impressive and heartwarming to watch mm. them. Cara Tangadal with us this morning on Coffee Break from the 4-H Lewis and Clark County Extension Office. And yeah, how are the kids embracing it? I mean, I know I know kids that don't go to school all the time, or my, my grandkids are complaining that they don't get to see their friends. It, probably the same thing happened with 4-H. It's a big social event for some of those kids. Yeah, I mean, you ride the wave, right, of <laughs> yeah. like being like, oh, things are fine, and then just total burnout. So um we kind of have a blend. So if we have small enough groups, they do get to meet in person. Oh, okay. They do wear masks. We have a big enough space with the Bill Hamilton build, building at the fairgrounds, for instance, where they can space out and then they disinfect everything when they're done. And um, they can do a lot of their projects at home as well. I just had a parent tell me recently, actually, that right now the 4-H projects have been a saving grace for their family and for their kids because they've been able to connect about something a little bit different with other kids in the program and going to their club meetings and working with their animals or working on whatever indoor projects they might have, like robotics or leather craft. And she said it's really been a saving grace. But, you know, not for everybody. Some folks are like, well, we're barely holding on, so we'll we'll catch up later. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, just trying to teach help with grandkids and homework makes my head spin. So at least with 4-H, there's no math. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unless you want to do math. I mean, there is some finances, I guess. So, you know, you have to, we ask them to keep track of what they purchase for a project and what they spend, but that's just adding and subtracting. Yeah. Them. So, yeah. Even I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I see uh, the 4-H dues does so many things. You mentioned leather work, robotics, and, you know, because most people think 4-H and they think it's, it's uh, rural kids and they're raising animals, but that's really not 4-H anymore. 4-H is very widespread. Yeah. And again, this is part of meeting the needs of our community and what they want. And so, um, yeah, we have projects all over the place. So for instance, we just had a leather craft workshop last night and our volunteer who's taking that on, her name is Jamie Learham and she owns the Gray Mountain Leathercraft uh, Company. And that's really cool because it just allows kids to learn from a local expert and kind of have that mentorship opportunity with their projects. Um, we have a photography project and that's pretty popular and that's done by our, a local volunteer, Luke Duran, who does graphic design and makes a magazine for the fish wildlife and parks and um which i was a fan of that magazine before i even met him so i kind of fangirled out when i actually <laughs> met him in person <laughs> but yeah so i mean we have some really awesome volunteers who put the time in and help kids learn these skills and make those relationships and i think that's really important what age group does 4-h run from and you were talking you had third graders that you were talking to and how, how young do they start yeah so they can start at five years old and that's the they are they're considered clover buds which is a cute little name. And that's a non-competitive program. They meet once a month and do some sort of activity. They enter the fair and they practice doing interviews, but it's non-competitive. So it's pretty much a participation awards and just encouraging them and helping them get prepared for being a full member, which happens once you turn age eight, you can choose to be a regular 4-H member. And you can continue to be in 4-H until you're 19, as long as you're still enrolled in high school. So um, at the time that you turn... I think 18. So, oh, so and, and I know 4-H, along with all those things that you guys are doing, the leadership that these kids are getting out of this, it, it is an amazing thing when you 
the kids show up sometimes with you and we get to speak to them and how comfortable they are talking in front of people. Yeah. So I work primarily with teen leaders most of the time because they help me. It's a youth program. Yeah. So they help me make decisions for the 4-H program and they help put on our different events and say what direction that we think we should go in. And so uh, right now we have a group that's working on a project where they're gathering backpacks and stuffing them with blankets and dental like hygiene um materials and like books and toys and all that kind of stuff and they're distributing them uh, through the foster program for foster kids and so I mean that's a huge job they're doing something like I think it's like a thousand or five thousand backpacks is what they're aiming for or five hundred I mean it's it's a lot (laughs) and they have a hundred done already ready to be distributed for Lewis and Clark County and I mean, with COVID going on, I mean, that's a huge project. And they were able to really, they had to reach out to people in different ways um, to get the materials they needed. And it is much needed for our state. So is this a therefore age project alone? And they're, they're not doing this in conjunction with somebody like United Way or anything? No, um, I mean, they're having partners at this point where we're yeah. helping, um, like, you know, distribute for sure. But no, they're pretty much doing this. I mean, there's people who are donating supplies, so I don't want to not thank them because they're a huge help. But yeah, the kids are organizing this on their own. And those those kids have to go out and kind of present their ideas to these people to ask for those donations too. Yes. So they've been on the radio. They've been um, on Facebook and social media. They've sent letters out to different organizations letting them know what they're doing. They've applied for grants. I mean, they've been crazy busy getting this done and I'm just so impressed with this huge project that they're accomplishing and they're doing it well. All right. So 4-H kids doing much more than just raising animals, which a lot of people, I think, believe that that's what they do. And as we uh, think ahead, as 2021 is uh, getting underway, you got your fingers crossed like everybody else. Things will go back to sort of normal. Kids can get back together and, you know, What's maybe the plan for the fair? What do you guys, I know last year you ended up having to do it kind of virtually, but you, you still got to be able to do the auction and everything. Yeah. So we were really fortunate that we were able to work with public health and um, make a plan for our fair to have it go forward. And everybody wore masks and we had folks um, taking temperatures and kind of just checking on things, making sure that guidelines were being followed. Um, This year, we're hoping that it will be similar because we were able to be there in person. We just had to stagger the schedule a lot more. It does sound, and I don't want to speak out a term, but it does sound like um, the the carnival and stuff, they're really pushing for that to happen, the carnival and the rodeo. And so um, we're going to be sharing the space again uh but it doesn't sound like there's going to be an open class for the fair this year and so the fair aspect is going to be primarily 4-h this year um which gives us more space which is kind of nice and it allows us to really utilize uh the buildings and um be able to highlight what the kids have been working on all year. So I'm really excited for them. And, hope, and excited maybe to get them all back together and they get to meet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're very happy. And sometimes, I mean, there's always confusion about like, why are we following the guidelines? You know how it is right now. But um, I think what's really cool about 4-H is 
even though we have a whole bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds with a bunch of different beliefs, they were able to come together and see that, like, yes, if we want this to happen, this is what we have to do. And they were able to support each other through that. And I don't think we could have done something that size without having that 4-H background amidst all of us because health is part of our 4-H pledge. And so we were really fortunate that our families bought in and and worked hard, so hard to make that happen. Oh, uh, yeah. Everybody happened to send it. Like just before you came in, I had to wipe everything down over there on the side of our salad glass here and make sure that everything is going on. So, yes, COVID 19 has changed many, many things. Yeah. But uh, I know you got a lot of other things coming up, but more to talk about with Karatanga Dahl with the 4 H Extension Office here in Helena. And we'll be continuing our conversation here on Coffee Break coming up. I just wanted to step away from the show for a few seconds to tell you that if you miss an episode, you can always catch up. We're on iTunes, so find our show there or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Local and area events, city, state, and national officials, your neighbors doing incredible things. We talk to them all on Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. In today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, we deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across Montana. Ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com security. It's 8.46 here on Coffee Break. Kirk Kittleson sitting in for Troy Shockley and joining us today in the studios is Cara Tangadal. She is with the Extension Office, works with the 4-H kids. And uh, I see, I mean, here it is, what, 19 below outside. You don't think of bees in this kind of weather, but you got a beekeeping course that's coming up that you uh, are pretty excited about out there. Yeah, uh, we're hosting uh, me and Alyssa Piccolomini, who works with the Montana Department of Agriculture and is our state entomologist. Uh, we put on a beginner beekeeping course in conjunction with Helena College, and uh, we just talk about how you can get started in beekeeping and the materials you need and what you need to know to be a successful beekeeper. So. All right, and bees, very important for everything around here, I mean, especially in agriculture. Yes, um, pollinators are extremely important for I think it's like 80% of the food oh, yeah. that we eat, um, and especially bees. And honeybees are interesting because they are generalists, which means they'll pollinate pretty much anything, um, which is what makes them important. But they're actually not native to North America, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, they came from Europe primarily. Uh, so we have a couple different races of bees that you'll see in Montana especially, and that's Carniolan bees and Italian bees. And they're both from Europe. Europe. Um, but a lot of people use them because they are generalists, but we do have native bees that are also super important to Montana and help with that pollination as well. Yeah. And what kind of things do you discuss, like space that needs to be used? I mean, you, you don't want to be doing it out your back door in a small residential area, maybe not, but yeah. Um, I mean, you can have bees actually in Helena um, in the city limits. Oh, okay. um, there are some rules about like how far away from the property line it needs to be and that there needs to probably be like some sort of a fence. So the bees have to fly up so that they're not just flying directly into your neighbor's patio, <laughs> you know. Um, but for the most part, bees, honeybees won't bother folks too much um, unless they're grumpy, which I did have a grumpy hive with. <laughs> um 
But yeah, you can, we talk about where's the best place to put a hive and usually that has to do, you want the hive to face where the sun rises. Um, in the summer, which is the primary uh, honey season, you, you'll want them to be shaded in the afternoon. Um, in winter right now, it's interesting because everybody has a different technique that they use to get their hives through the winter if they're um, keeping their hives in Montana. Mm -hmm. And so right now with this cold snap, I'm sure there's beekeepers that are just like, crossing their fingers, hoping that their honeybees are still alive after this. But um, for instance, my hives, I wrap them in tar paper. I have uh, kind of what's called a sugar board on the top. And you still have to make sure that there's adequate ventilation, though, um, because otherwise there gets to be too much moisture in the hive. So it's really a balance of a whole bunch of different things. And um, we're actually kind of looking at a bunch of survey data to see what different beekeepers do and what their success rates have been um, and to see what we can uh, suggest for folks who are going into the winter. But really to be successful and get your hives through the winter, it's you have to start now, like in the spring, thinking about how you're going to be managing your bees throughout the year. Okay, this beekeeping course, is it an ongoing thing that people can still sign up for? Is it? Uh... Yeah, you, well, you can sign up online um, at the Helena College website in continuing education. Uh, this course is scheduled for not this Saturday, but the next Saturday. Um, so you'd want to sign up soon. And then if you're still interested, you can always contact me at the extension office and let me know, hey, I'd like to learn more about how to get started. And if we get enough interest, we can do just a, a brief virtual class to help people get started. Do you have a limited number of uh, participants planned for this? or? Yeah, I think Helena College capped it at 20. Um, okay. But we do have a larger room, so I'm kind of wondering if they'll open it up if it gets more popular. If so. more people say, hey, I'm thinking of keeping bees. Right, yeah. That's coming up next weekend. Yes, yep. Okay. But, I mean, if you're interested in beekeeping or if you have major questions, you can always contact me. That's part of my job, So, and I'm here to serve, and your tax dollars go toward it, so you should utilize me. <laughs> yeah. That's just one of the many things going on with the uh, county extension office. And uh, What's this citizen science curriculum? you're working on. What, what, what's that all about? Yeah. So with my work with bees, and I'm, I've also been doing the master beekeeping course through the University of Montana and working with researchers there. Um, Jerry Bromenshank, for instance, he's really well known in beekeeping research. Um, and he suggested that I talk to a researcher named Julia Mahood, and she uses drones to locate what's called a drone congregation area. So she, <laughs> which that sounds confusing, but she uses like, <laughs> you know, the drones, like the machine drones yeah. to look for the male honeybees, which are also called drones. Oh, okay. And I've had someone explain to me that they think the male honeybees, which are also called drones, that they're kind of like teenage boys because their only jobs are to eat and look for girls. So, <laughs> and what they do is they will fly up and they'll congregate in these areas that are just kind of above treetops and they'll just wait for a girl to show up and then try to mate with her. <laughs> so, uh, these drone congregation areas, they're interesting because people haven't been able to really locate them very easily. They've used radar in the past or they've had queen bee pheromones that are attached to balloons uh -huh. and then they kind of raise them up. But now they're using drones to carry those pheromones up above the treetops and then have a camera attached um, to that drone to see if that's where the drones are congregating at. And this is important because this is how queen bees are, are mated. They
they go up, they mate once with a bunch of different drones, they go back to their hive, and that's and then they lay eggs for the rest of their lives, and that's how they build their colonies. And so if you can find these drone congregation areas, if you're if there's certain genetics that you're looking for in bees in an area, if you know where those drone congregation areas are, you can release queens in that area, or virgin queens, and get some of those genetics that you're looking for. And there's a whole bunch of other things you can find out too. So beekeeping and honeybees, it's just so cool right now because the science is wide open still. You can, there's more tools and technology that we can use now to find out more. And with the importance of them being pollinators, the more research you can do, the better. And so this is something valuable that youth can do. So um, I'm working with this researcher to make curriculum through 4-H that we can disperse across the country and they can make their own little drone set up and go up and look for these drone congregation areas. And she has a website called Map My DCA or Map My Drone Congregation Area. And you can just type in where you found your drone congregation area. And I mean, right now there's there's not as much data as there could be. So kids can really be part of helping that scientific research. And plus they get to fly a drone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fun and it's amazing. I love scientific projects that are simple. Oh, yeah. This is pretty simple. And so, and it's easy to understand what we're doing and um, they'll be able to see, hey, I helped with all this research that's going to come out of it and all this stuff we found out. So as the 4-H looks forward to that, you're going to need extra funding for that? Are you doing some grant work for that? Because... Yeah, if you're going to have to get a few drones involved in this. Right, yeah. And so that's part of me building, working with this researcher to build the curriculum. Because if you have a framework in place where you're saying, this is what we're going to do exactly, this is the outcomes that we're hoping for, um, then it's a lot easier to get grant funding and to explain what you're doing. Yeah, so that is something coming up. And if they want to find out more about that and maybe uh, some kids want to get involved with that and think that, hey, that would be fun to do. They can still find out through the 4-H extension office out there? Yep, they can still call me so, yeah. <laughs> um, or email me. Yep, if you just Google Lewis and Clark County 4-H, you'll be able to find us pretty easily. All right, and 4-H, uh, of course, you get some funding for you know grants and things, but they're still out there fundraising. They do a lot of work and, and try to raise money. What are some of the things they got going in and fundraising? I know it's an ongoing effort. Yeah, so our 4-H program here in Lewis and Clark County has the Lewis and Clark County 4-H Foundation, and their primary job is to raise funds for our 4-H program to keep it going. I mean, our budget um, typically to keep our projects going, just our projects, not talking about maintaining our building, it can be upwards of $30,000 a year. Uh, so right now, now, with COVID, it's been kind of hard to figure out what we can actually do that'll be effective. And I know a lot of other nonprofits are dealing with the same thing. Um, our foundation had decided to sell face masks that have a 4-H logo on it and say Montana on it. And they're actually pretty nice. And kids are going around selling them for $10 a mask. And even right now, I know that um, the statewide mask mandate is set to expire today. Today, yeah. <laughs> um, but I know Lewis and Clark County is still asking folks to wear masks as we have the vaccinations roll out. And so um, they can still be beneficial if you'd want to pick some up and support our 4-H program. And didn't it look like a cool brand on there? Is that the way they're doing it? Yeah. Yep. You are repping 4-H when you wear it and it does look pretty nice. <laughs> right. And they can get those through any 4-H member? Yeah. All of our clubs are helping sell these masks and you can buy them through them um, or a 4-H volunteer or again, you
you can contact the extension office and we have them available there as well. All right. So there's, there's some way you can help 4-H and, you know, as we've talked about before and kind of circle back to it, but because uh, we didn't really mention it. Well, I guess you kind of mentioned it with the drone thing, but that would be, I can, I guess, considered in kind of a STEM project through the 4-H. And that's another thing you guys do. You do a lot of science work with 4-H kids. Yeah. And I mean, even with, really, you can put STEM into anything. And so, especially with our animal projects, kids are doing STEM all the time and they just don't even really maybe consider it, but they have to learn the nutrition of their animals, Mm -hmm. how they grow, um, how their metabolisms work, um, behavior, and so just general biology of their animals. Um, We have shooting sports and so archery, air rifle, small boar, all of that, there's a lot of physics that go into it. And that's always touched on uh, when they're working. Um, with, you know, photography, they talk a lot about light and saturation and the colors and they have to work with editing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it can be in anything. It might not be as obvious as, you know, robotics, but it's definitely prevalent. Yeah. And they can use that going forward in their lives and forward in their education, which a lot of these kids end up doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, 4-H also, you know, I know you do these little workshops with volunteers from the community on different things that they do. Is that something you're still recruiting for? Are you looking for more uh, professionals out there to come in and, and share what they do? Yes. Um, some of our more popular projects are woodworking and welding. And we're looking for anybody who would like to do a workshop on that, either virtually or in person. Um because kids just need to know where to get started or if somebody has a shop and they're willing to have a couple kids come in and learn just the basics of how to get started or what kind of equipment they need, that's really helpful. Um, It's pretty flexible in how you want to do these activities and how often, I mean, if you're like, you know, I can do an introductory one with 10 kids, we can accommodate that. So. Yeah. And I know you've seen uh, much of that work in the 4-H out at the fair. You see there, you see wooden chairs, you see welded sculptures, you see all kinds of fun things out there with those kids at 4-H. Yeah, fair is an awesome opportunity for them to exhibit what they've been working on and to um, kind of finish out their projects, get someone to actually look at their projects and evaluate them and say, here's what you did really well, here's what you can work on, and it kind of gives them a basis of where they should go for the next year. All right. 4-H is what we've been talking about today with Cara Tangadol. And as we wrap things up, uh, I know school's not in session on a regular basis. So any recruiting of 4-H members kind of is sketchy that way. But if there are parents out there or kids that are thinking about getting into 4-H, what's the best way to find out more? Contact you or go to your – do you have a website or – we do. Um, it's part of the Lewis and Clark uh, County website. And so if you go to that, you can click 4-H. Again, if you type in Lewis and Clark County 4-H into um, Google or your search bar, it should show up. And then there's a big button on our main page that says join. If you click that, it walks you through how to join 4-H step by step. And you can join 4-H at any time. If you want to participate in FAIR, though, you do need to join by May 1st. All right. So if you're thinking about that, maybe get online and find out more about 4-H and get all signed up for the upcoming fair, which we all hope is in person and out at the fairgrounds this year. We're looking forward to maybe seeing some live music personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lewis and Clark County 4-H Extension Agent, uh, Cara Tangadal, our guest today on Coffee Break. Thank you for taking the time to come into the studio on this cold morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> all right, KCAP News Time. It's approaching... Uh,
10 at 9 o'clock, and we'll get to ABC News. And hopefully, uh, Troy will be back with us here on Monday morning on News Radio 95. I'm Troy Shockley, and that's it for Coffee Break today. Be sure to check us out on iTunes. Head on over, give us a review there. That's always much appreciated. Or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here tomorrow.